Bodybuilding Dietitians podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today for what is now episode 105. And as always, we're joined by your hosts, Tiara and Jack. Now, before we get into today's episode, we just want to remind you as always that if you do enjoy these podcasts, please feel free to tell your family and friends about them. Take a screenshot, post it to your social media stories. If you are listening on the iTunes podcast app, please feel free to also leave us a rating and potentially write us a review. And if you are interested in getting in touch with us regarding our coaching services, you can always head over to our website just by Google searching the bodybuilding dietitians or clicking any of the links in the show notes below. And like we always say, we don't just coach comp prep competitors. We do coach anyone with a health and fitness related goal. And exciting news, we have made a comeback to YouTube as well. So you can also check out the Bodybuilding Dietitians on YouTube, where we will now be posting more frequent videos. Yeah, can't wait to keep that up. It's, uh, I really enjoyed making the first video. So it would mean a lot to both of us if you could really head over there, subscribe, click the like button and help us get through this period of growing the YouTube channel. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and there's another vlog in the pipeline, which should be posted in the next few days. Yep. Or tonight even. Sweet. All right, guys. Well, getting on into this Q&A episode today, this first question says, have you ever found tracking macros exhausting and how did you get past this? So the short answer is no. It's a hesitant no, Mm -hmm. I would say. I don't think I've ever really found it exhausting. That's quite a strong word to use. Mm -hmm. I I definitely have had periods where, like even right now in prep, I'm like, wow, it would be nice if I could just eat what I wanted for the day, not worry about being in a deficit or the, the composition of the food that I'm consuming. And I also don't mean this as in I want to go and have a cheap meal or anything like that. It's, it's more so like, okay, I'm going to go to Woolies or Coles. I'm going to walk down the aisle. Oh, look, there's some quinoa there. I'm going to grab some quinoa. I'm going to buy some nice smoked salmon. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll have something else that I don't want usually have and, and enjoy that in a meal without worrying about trying to make it fit my macros. Because again, it's not necessarily the calories that's the issue because let's be honest, I can, especially in the off season, I'm eating four to 5,000 calories a day. It's easy to eat whatever I want. It's more about the, the tedium of, of making it fit macros. Yeah, I know. And that's, that's the barrier, right? For a lot of people who are, you know, hesitant to tracking their macros is they Mm. do feel like it is a burden. They do feel like it is time consuming. They do feel like it's really tedious, right? Trying to fit their nutrition to align with these certain numbers. And I totally get that right? But I also think that knowledge is power, you know? And I think that going through phases of actually tracking your nutrition using an app, right? It just ingrains you with this level of knowledge and skills that you're really able to apply for the rest of your life. Honestly, it teaches you about the nutrient composition of different foods. And then you're able to make informed decisions for the rest of your life based on, you know, your nutritional requirements. So I think it's just such a fundamental skill to have. And personally for me, like I've always been a very analytical person, right? Like I like being in the know. I like knowing my numbers and, you know, definitely as a dietitian and a sports nutritionist, like, hell yeah, I love knowing what I'm putting into my body, right? Because eating is one of the most frequent things that you will do every single day 
of your freaking life, right? And if you're continuously putting things into your body multiple times per day, every day of the week, of the month, of the year, for a hundred years straight, okay? I would argue that you should have some baseline knowledge about what the heck is actually going in. Hundred mm, percent. And I also think it really depends on the extent of your goal. So for example, if you're someone who is currently overweight, so let's say a male who is like 30% body fat and they're just wanting to lose some weight, then that is not really going to compare to someone who is five weeks out from a comp prep. Mm -hmm. So someone whose goals are less intense, then they don't have to be as objective. So they can easily get away without tracking their macros. Whereas someone who is in prep, uh, I only know a handful of people who haven't tracked in prep. Mm -hmm. And I think they would say at the end of it that they should have tracked or it is more accurate tracking their macros. Yeah, because guys, let's face it, right? Tracking helps keep you on track. And if mm. you have very specific goals, you need to do specific things, right? You just have to accept that. And I think we should be so freaking privileged to actually have access to apps like this, right? And we actually know the nutritional breakdown of every single food down to the freaking gram, right? Like, I am so grateful that we have access to these sort of things. And it's honestly, it's so easy, right? So it's so easy to be in the know. and. Personally, I don't think it actually takes that much time, right? Like once you fall into the habit, you know, opening up your phone, like you do probably hundreds of times every day to go on Instagram, to check an email, to reply to a text, to phone someone, right? Opening up your phone one more time and opening up the MyFitnessPal app or the Chronometer app or whatever app you're using, right? And just putting something on the scale and just typing in those numbers, it takes a fraction of the time, right? Yeah, I think if you're using that tracking macros is too tough as an excuse, I don't, I can understand it, but I don't particularly agree with it because I think you just need to do it for long enough till it becomes a habit. Mm -hmm. If you're saying, okay, this kind of interferes with my daily routine in terms of intuitive eating and being in the present and enjoying what I'm eating, all that kind of stuff, I can resonate a bit more with, but let's be honest, you just scan something with a barcode, you search not tab, you plug it in and you're done. And then especially if you, if you work a nine to five or if you eat similar things each day, you just copy and paste the meals one day to the other. It's not, it's not very difficult. I know, right? It's so simple. Like for you and I, right? When we're eating, like, let's say we have a similar breakfast, but we weigh out a piece of fruit in the morning, you know, and it might mm. be 200 grams or it might be 220 grams. You know, you just change the amount of grams on your orange, but everything else is pretty much the same. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And I think, yeah, I don't have too much else to say. I think if, just have a good look at what you're currently doing, what your goals are. If you don't want to track macros, you don't have to. But if your goals, it's kind of like saying with weight loss, oh, I want to lose weight, but I also want to go out and party on the weekends and I want to enjoy all, the, all these social occasions with my friends and I also want to eat 500 grams of carbs per day. It's not going to happen. Yeah, I'm and sorry. It, <laughs> like your actions need to back up your words, right? Yeah. And like your goals need to align with, okay, what's the most efficient way to actually achieve that goal? Mm. And that's where it, it is just a tool to be used. Like you don't have to associate tracking macros with nutrition because mm -hmm. they're separate. It's just a tool in your toolbox to use just like different things like training volume is a tool in your training 
toolbox. Yeah, and you know, I think a lot of people will make the argument that, oh, you know, you track your macros, you must have an unhealthy relationship with food. Man, I would argue that ever since I actually learned a hell of a lot more about nutrition, like my relationship with food has increased mm. tenfold once I actually learned about the nutrient composition of my food. Because I only ever first started tracking macros back in 2016 when, when I moved into a share house and one of my housemates actually had a scale. And I was like, whoa, this is kind of neat, right? <laughs> because before then, like I was just using random things like, you know, teaspoons and tablespoons and using random things off Excel and stuff like that. So like to actually have a food scale and then mm. to download the MyFitnessPal app, I was like, whoa, I'm taking it to the next yeah. level, brother. And but uh, granted I, not, everyone is the same as us but I'm 100% with you on that like as soon as I could objectify my nutrition a bit more and understand it more my relationship with food increased significantly yeah and I can completely understand it when people say tracking might not be the best for you or the best for your mental health mm -hmm. but you can't just blanket statement that for everyone because I mean, you got two people right here where it improved their quality of life. Yeah, absolutely. You know, because before 2016, right, like I'd suffered from a really like very, very bad disordered eating for a solid three years and I didn't track at all, but I was definitely in that mentality of good and bad, right and wrong foods, right? So I would just pinpoint certain foods and say, oh no, I can't eat that, you know, cause that'll make me fat. And I had this like warped idea that just like certain foods were super caloric and other foods weren't. And I just didn't even consider the actual energy density of certain foods. Like during high school, you know, every single morning I would always have one cup of oats and I would have a banana and an apple, but I never actually considered the actual size of the banana, right? Or the actual size of the apple. Sometimes my bananas were probably like a hundred grams. Other days they were probably, dad would buy these massive bananas. <laughs> I swear they were well over 200 grams, you know? That's but, big. But then I was petrified of fat. I remember one morning I wanted to add some egg whites to my oatmeal and like mix all this fruit together and actually make a pancake thing, right? And while I was cracking the egg whites out from the whole egg, I split open the yolk and I got one drop of egg yolk onto my oats and I freaked the hell out because again, I was petrified of fat because I was in this warped mentality that, oh, fat makes you fat, right? But if I actually had the nutritional knowledge to understand that Tierra, one drop of an egg yolk, one milliliter of an egg yolk, how much fat is, how many calories are in that? Like, let's come on. There are way more calories in your extra 50 grams of banana you're eating today compared to what you're eating yesterday. Or like things like potatoes. I didn't understand the energy density of white potatoes, right? I thought that if I had one little baby potato that was like, you know, 1000 calories and was gonna just make me blow up or something. like. I didn't understand, but once I actually started, you know, learning more about the nutrient composition of certain foods, I'm like, oh my gosh, it opened my eyes to like, I don't need to be so restrictive. I can fill my diet with all of these wonderful foods and still stay within an energy budget. Mm, yeah, I went through a very similar phase and I remember a very similar circumstance in, in the UK when I went there on holiday and my grandma was making some curry or something for dinner and I saw her pour in all this oil and I, I like, I almost reprimanded her saying, 
why are you using that much oil? Yeah, like, you see it happen and you're like blood pressure <laughs> immediately goes up. You're like, <gasps> yeah. And I mean, looking back on it now, it's, it's just so silly. And, but the thing is so many people go through it and mm-hmm. so many people are going through it right now, whether it's with olive oil or whether it's with fearing carbs or being on the carnivore diet or yeah. doing keto. So, or anything that's the color white. <laughs> yeah, totally. So yeah, I guess if you're in that situation, then feel free to message us. Hopefully you can take something away from this answer because it's, you're not alone and it's much more common than you think. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and again, like knowledge is power, right? And of course the goal isn't to track your macros to the T every single day for the rest of your life. Right. But I certainly would just be a big advocate for just going through periods of just learning more about what you're putting into your body. And then for the rest of your life, you can make informed decisions, right? You can go out to a restaurant and you can order what you want off the menu, but that can also align with, you know, okay, cool. This meal still has a decent serving of protein in it, right? I've got a decent serving of carbohydrates in there. Oh, you can probably estimate how much fat's in it. Right. So you can achieve your goals and enjoy your life simultaneously. But God, knowledge is power. And like, imagine if you thought about it like finances, you know, people are like, oh, I just want to eat intuitively. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But like, imagine if we treated finances like that. It's like, oh, I just want to spend intuitively, you know, or I just want to have an intuitive income and intuitive (laughs) expenses. Right. And you just like you don't want to be in the know. But then like, that's going to creep up on you, man. And you're going to see your bank account and be like, oh, shiz, where did all my money go? Similar to how, you know, like if you're just negligent and if you don't pay any attention to what you're putting into your body over a chronic time span, man, you're going to run into some issues, right? And again, it doesn't take that much time and it's an investment in your health and it's an investment in time. People might say, oh, it's going to take me a total of three minutes during the day to weigh my food and track it in an app and be in the know. But then, you know, it turns out that they're gaining weight. How much time are you going to have to spend right on a treadmill trying to burn off that weight in the long run? Right. Because you think, oh, it's not nutrition. It's just extra cardio or, you know, obviously this is taking it to an extreme, but you know, if you completely neglect your health and you never pay attention to what you're putting into your body over a chronic time span, right? You could potentially run into some health issues and you know, you are going to have to spend a lot of money on medical bills, you know, and time spent in the hospital and in a doctor's office, right? Not necessarily enjoying your life and living your best life. So, you know, I just think that the time that you invest in it each day, it's a very small sacrifice to pay, right? In order to just stay on top of things. And of course, I'm not saying that, you know, if you don't track your macros that you're going to end up in hospital, I'm not saying that by any means, I'm more just referring this to just paying attention to how you're treating yourself and the food that you're fueling yourself with every single day, you know, just be in the know knowledge is power. But anyway, Jack, let's move on to another question, right? This one isn't nutrition related, but it is soleus and gastrocnemius related. <laughs> so this one says, what's your best advice for building stubborn calves? Cool. So I guess to answer this one, I'll actually kind of start off with my pet peeve in terms of bodybuilding or one of them. And that is like someone who isn't as into the bodybuilding lifestyle they'll like look at someone's physique who has an amazing physique and they'll be like he has small calves <laughs> as if like that's the like the most standout thing about their physique or they'll have like no arms or no shoulders whatsoever and then they'll be like he has no calves and stuff like 
who cares? Like, it's your carbs. Like, I think people put a lot of emphasis on carbs when it's like kind of putting a lot of emphasis on your forearm flexors. Like, yeah, sure. Someone has small forearms, but then they have massive biceps and triceps, like, or someone who has massive quads and small calves. Like, I care so much more about my quads and hamstrings than I do my calves. Yeah. But still, I guess I always say, you know, like discipline is defined by whether or not you train your abs and your calves, right? Because let's admit, okay, like there's a lot of people out there who do say that, oh, my calves just won't grow. Mm -hmm. But like, you know, they've probably done two sets of calf raises in their life and then they blame their genetics, right? Like it really comes down to like, oh, my, my calves suck. And it's like, well, do you train them consistently? Mm. No. Uh, and I, just to <laughs> disclaim, I, I can only make that statement because I, I've been training my calves consistently for ever since I started training. So it's not like I'm saying that and I'm butthurt because I don't have calves. I you can, do have really nice calves. I would, I think I can, we can both give a little bit of backstory on our journey with calves. <laughs> Jack, there's softballs and veins on those things, okay? <laughs> I would argue you got pretty nice goddamn calves. <laughs> Thank you, but they're, yeah, they're not uh, Carl Weber calves, that's no. for sure. Okay, well, Kyle Weber is genetic calves, <laughs> yeah. all right? Genetic plus hard work, of course. Yeah, <laughs> I guess we can categorize this to you have average genetics and you don't train your calves. <laughs> you have average genetics and you do train your calves and vice versa. You have good genetics and you don't train them. You have good genetics and you do train them. Yeah. And I guess that applies to every muscle group, mm-hmm. really. But ultimately, what is your best advice for someone who has trouble building their calves. Yeah, so I I do think it is important to mention like origin and insertion and where the gastrocnemius is and stuff like that. So basically someone, if unfortunately, if you have poor muscle bellies for your calves, like there's only so much you can do compared to someone who, you can see it from birth, like some toddlers are like walking around with huge calves (laughs) and stuff like that. And you're like, that person's gonna have big calves when they grow up. And or even looking at their parents, they have like massive calves. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. There's obviously a genetic component, but there's yeah. genetic components to everything. But yeah. I think it's also majorly influenced by the way people walk as well. Mm, definitely. I think, I mean, this is very anecdotal, but like for people who, there are people who do like a little bit of a calf raise when they walk. Mm-hmm. And that's undoubtedly, if you do that, you're going to grow some big calves. Yeah. But to get into something that's actually useful, one, we know that. For most people, calves can recover very quickly uh, because you walk on them every day. They're, ma- they're mainly type 1 fibers. And for that reason, I would train them. Personally, I train them every session. Mm-hmm. So five days a week. And I do four sets. So that's four by five is 20 sets per week. When you actually break it down, 20 sets, that's like on the upper threshold of what is normal. It's not like I'm... Like people think uh, you train them every session. Wow, that's too much. But when you actually break down the sets it's not actually that much. Yeah. So because people might say, oh, I'll just chuck them at the end of a leg day. But if you do four or five sets twice a week, that's eight to 10 sets a week, which, is, which isn't actually that many sets yeah. for a body part you're trying to improve. Yeah, remember, you know, the volume, right, that you should be aiming for in order to achieve growth and hypertrophy in a muscle group is at least 10 to 20 working sets directly on that muscle group per week. Mm. Yeah, so... A few other points to consider is definitely, so like, I guess to tick off that first one, look at the volume that you're doing. 
I would like I would just chuck them at the end of every session or even the start of every session. Yeah, same. I usually do it them at the start of each session, you know, because calves are such an easy thing to superset something with, yeah. right? Like if I'm starting with some shoulder press, like between my resting sets, right? Like I'll go and do some calf raises and mm. it doesn't impact my performance on any other movement. Yeah, yeah, I would hope not. <laughs> but another point to consider is your how you do it. So your execution of the movement. Mm-hmm. So many times I just see people just loading up the weight and just bouncing up and down. You want to stretch the calf muscle, not your Achilles. So you don't want any knee bend because as soon as you bend your knee, you're going to be stretching your Achilles tendon Mm -hmm. and loading that up. And that is a massive stretch reflex to it. So it's just going to come up and down using your Achilles. You want to actually get a really solid calf stretch on whatever machine you're using, really accentuate that at the bottom and then drive up and get a full contraction. Yeah, so just like any muscle group, right? Yeah. Just taking it through that full eccentric and concentric contraction. Yeah, and in terms of rep ranges, I think there's a lot of people who, like, it's a bit of a bro culture in terms of you either got to go super heavy for low reps or super light for high reps. And again, it's just like any other muscle group. A reps of 5 to 30, we know that's a rep range that works. So personally, what I do, I train them five days a week. So... I have different different rep ranges for each day just to mix it up. So, And that also means that I can just use a different weight for each day. So I'm not always a bit of decision-making fatigue if I'm always doing the same weight for similar reps. It would get a bit boring. So I do like one session 8 to 10, 10 to 12, 12 to 15, 15 to 20, 20 to 25 or something. And I just go through that range of motion with good execution and train them hard as well so like go to failure Mm because like you can easily go to failure with calves and recover very well yeah absolutely right and i think in terms of the rep ranges i would probably be an advocate of going closer to that you know higher end of the rep range rather than lower like Mm. definitely don't be doing one rm calf raises or something ridiculous and i probably wouldn't be working calf raises anywhere less than like eight reps yeah, for sure I don't, I don't do that either because i think of the calves I think form will just break down if you try and do that yeah same because i think of the calves is similar to like you know the lateral delt right like mm. you know when you're doing lateral delt raises you're not again going for one rms you're not working in a super low rep range just because i feel like the calves and your delts right there they're so close to other muscle groups that are much larger and then if you're going too heavy you're a lot more likely to take over with your larger muscle groups so for example you know if uh, for your calf raises right if you know you're going too heavy on a calf raise right you're probably going to start using some momentum and probably start to initiate some of your quads right or like if you're going too heavy on a delt raise right you're probably going to start using a lot of traps so It's about finding that perfect happy medium between obviously challenging the muscle group and progressively overloading with weight, but don't go too heavy and don't get too caught Mm. up in the weights. So yeah, I reckon for calves, I always feel best like anywhere between a 15 to 30 rep range. Yeah. I I guess everyone's different. Like I do one day at eight to 10 and I Mm -hmm. that's probably my favorite rep range for training calves. Because you're like, yes, I get to do the least (laughs) amount of reps for my calves. Yeah, (laughs) at least I might change my mind after prep, but yeah. What about for exercise selection for the calves? So I think, I guess that's an interesting point because I think a physio or ex-phys might know a bit more about this, but we, from what we've heard, the standing exercises, so exercises where your knees are locked, so not bent, they're going to be more favorable for the gastrocnemius, which is like the that big ball of the calf. Mm-hmm. And then exercises that are seated are going to be more so for the soleus, which is that 
muscle that runs up and down the side of your leg. So I guess when you look at the calf anatomy and which area people like the most, it's the gastroc. The gastrocnemius mm-hmm. is that nice big ball. And I don't actually do any seated calf raises anymore for that reason because I, I did that for years in high school and at uni, yeah. doing a, like a, a lot of seated calf raises. And n- now my soleus is quite developed. <laughs> I'm totally with you, man. But my, but my gastroc, I just want more gastroc, baby. Yeah, give me the gastrocs. Oh, we're so, I'm so with you. Because like, you know, that's the thing. You and I have been together for almost five years, right? Mm. And I know that I started training calves when I met you and we started going to the gym together. Because you like, might have slipped that in there in one of our... The first months together. Yeah, you did. I, I swear, the first time I started doing direct calf work, I actually had bruises on yeah, my calves. I remember that. At uh, Stratty. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. And they were only like body weight, single leg <laughs> yeah. calf raises. Boy, what a puss wag. But anyway, my calves are definitely a hell of a lot stronger now. But yeah, at UQ Sport, we use that seated calf raise machine and we do it every single session, right? And yeah, our soleuses definitely show for it. We've got strong soleuses, but... I think in the past two years, I've actually swapped over to just purely standing. So I love them like on the Smith machine, that donkey calf raise, that's awesome at Worlds Gym Brisbane. And even like a standing calf raise machine, like it's just so good. Mm -hmm. I just, I love training my calves, right? And especially for like, as a female, you know, bikini competitor, right? When you're in heels, having nice calves, like it really shows, Mm -hmm. you know? And I, I love having nice calves. Yeah. So uh, just for like the humor, I guess, or for the sake of it, I want to mention that I'm actually one of those people who train my tibialis anterior. So when you just Google that on Google images, it's actually the muscle on the front of your calf. Mm -hmm. Because like I've always thought that that muscle looked kind of cool, especially in like the front poses where it kind of sticks out a bit more. And basically I do like a reverse calf raise. So instead of putting my toes on the block, I'll put my heels on the block and then do a calf raise like that. So I've been doing that for 18, 19, 20. This will be my fourth year of doing that. Oh my which gosh. Is pretty crazy. Wow. But that just goes to show, right? Like guys, it's about commitment. It's about consistency. It's about frequency and obviously progressive overload too. So again, yeah. Don't do one set of calf raises and then be like, God damn, they're not growing, right? And mm. then say like, oh, I've got, you know, shite genetics from my calves. Like, no, give it a good shot, right? And keep going. Or like, just keep doing it over years, right? And they will grow. They will grow just like any other muscle group, right? Like, you're not giving up on any other muscle group that quickly, so stop trying to give up on your calves, yeah. right? And yeah, that tibialis anterior, it just reminds me of just how cool anatomy is. Like, it's just so straightforward, you know? Like, it's the muscle on top of your tibia (laughs) and anterior means at the front, right? But yeah, uh, next time you guys see Jack in person, you know, check out that tibialis anterior. (laughs) Yeah, I guess. Like, get down on your... No, I won't say that. (laughs) (laughs) Kiss my calves. (laughs) No, but yeah, guys, hopefully that helps right and uh, remember really discipline is defined by whether or not you train your calves and you train your abs yeah. so just freaking do it superset that shiz man just get it done mm, awesome so what's the final question of the day so we actually got asked a lot of personal questions about food and actually relating you know to the end of prep right and you know one says i know that it's rare but when you and jack go out to eat what type of cuisine do you like And other people asking, like, what is our favorite food that we're looking forward to after prep? And 
what foods are we looking forward to when we're allowed to cheat? (laughs) (laughs) When we have the permission to cheat? (laughs) On that note of cheating, I would highly recommend going to our Instagram. I think you might have to scroll a little bit, but we have a post called cheating versus refeeding and that Mm -hmm. kind of sums up our notion of cheating yeah absolutely i guess to to put it into a few words what are you cheating on bro i don't know i'm not cheating on anything man i just want more protein cakes (laughs) (laughs) but yeah so jack if we were to go out to eat what type of cuisine is our favorite so probably i would say greek i -hmm. think that's the one we've been to the most Mm -hmm. especially like the metse platter yeah which is just like a platter of all these different little knickknacks and treats and not really treats just different little things of food put together mm-hmm. which uh, i really like I, th- I would have to say it's a it's an even tie between greek and like really nice gourmet pizza mm. i knew you were going to say that <laughs> and i think both of those obviously you know have a good amount of dough and they also have a good amount of you know <laughs> flavor meat flavored cheese uh, like seafood Right. But I know that we have this favorite gourmet pizza bar in Noosa where we holiday every year. It's called Zachary's Pizza Bar. Mm. And they do like half and half pizzas, but they're like really nice mm. pizzas. You know, or like homemade pizza. Oh, just so all wood fired, you know, like so you could get half a pizza with like, you know, a tandoori chicken and all that really nice like Indian yogurt sauce. And the other half of the pizza could be like, you know, a bunch of fresh seafood with like bits of melted brie and mm. blue cheese and also like big things of camembert and like massive things of avocado like that'll be a goal for our next house will be a nice outdoor pizza oven Mm, absolutely but pizza is just the best man because it's just there's so much variety right and again the dough the meat the melted cheese oh boy yeah and it's so it's nutritious like there's people sure go to domino's pizza hut maybe not as nutritious (laughs) but like having a whole meal based pizza dough having like some vegetables on your pizza some lean meat some nice cheese which is a good source of protein and Mm -hmm. calcium like what's not to like and hell throw a bit of pineapple on there you know (laughs) you've got basically the food pyramid on your plate exactly yeah (laughs) so yeah pizza and greek for sure but other than that you know what are we looking forward to eating after prep i guess there's it's some of you might roll your eyes at this but it's just not something that I'm thinking about or actually I don't want to think about it either because it can be a vicious cycle of the more you think about what you're missing out on the more you'll think about it Mm -hmm. and then the more you think about it the more frequently you'll think about it so I try to not think about it (laughs) and I just get on with my day and I kind of use the off season as motivation right now so I'm like okay, it's coming up, it's going to happen regardless, and I'm going to enjoy the food in the off-season and all the extra food I get to consume. But it's almost, it's kind of hard to describe. I'm using that as motivation to push me forward right now and and get through this prep because like I want to make the most of this prep as well. It's not like if I had the choice between if I could do my off-season right now or, or continue prepping, of course I'm going to continue prep. It's something I'm passionate about and I want to do the best I can in. So... I think with the off season, like one, like it's only going to be sooner or later before, maybe once I reach 85 kilos again, I'm going to be eating an abundance of food and I'm not going to be too interested in food. Mm -hmm. So that kind of puts me on halt as well, because soon enough in the off season, there's going to definitely be a few months there where I am still food focused and I'm loving all the food I'm eating, but sooner or later, it's going to get to a point where my food focus gradually reduces. Yeah, absolutely. But I think it's safe to say that 
ultimately right now we're not food focused we're goal focused yeah you know like we want to achieve our goals so much more than we want to eat food mm. right like that's just the top priority right now because men we one we're not starving okay we're both still eating four times a day every mm. single day so we're certainly still eating food but at the same time like you know we've experienced food before we've tasted those things before but what we've never experienced is you know like I've never experienced stepping on an ICN stage in the best shape of my life. You know, you've never experienced being a contender for, for a pro card, right? Like we are goal focused right now and we want that so much more than we want Mm. food. So food is not at the forefront of our mind. I don't, I'm, I'm definitely, I won't go into depth now because I want to save it for clickbait. Let's be honest. But like I do have, a plan for how I'm going to reverse this time. It's going to be different to last time. I'm really looking forward to having more energy and that involves food. Mm -hmm. So I'm definitely going to put it simply. I'm just going to be more aggressive with how I gain weight back this time. Yeah. Because last time I took my sweet ass time and I got injured and it wasn't a good time. Good for you. And that's the thing as well. You know, people are like, Oh, what foods are you craving? It's like, dude, I'm just craving larger portion sizes of the normal foods I'm eating right now. You know, I'm really just craving more calories and I'm craving Mm. more energy, but God, I love my diet, you know, just like give me more bananas, give me more protein cakes, give me some Lebanese bread with some seafood and eggs and cheese on there. Like it's going to be a good time. But like, I, I don't personally have any cravings for foods that wouldn't normally be a part of my dietary pattern. Like, you know, it honestly doesn't sound appealing to me. Like, you know, just hitting up a dessert bar, you know, and just putting whipped cream all over some sort of massive piece of chocolate cake or something. Like I genuinely, I'm like, eh, like, I don't know. I don't really want that right now. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. And I know if I had something like that, I wouldn't feel the best off. Yeah, exactly. Man, I want to feel my best. Cause again, like, like I'm so motivated as well to get back into an improvement season two mm. and just like be super well energized, be really strong, really good digestion, like just really good energy every single day. Right. And just be hitting the gym. But you and I both know that we do have pretty high metabolic rates and we also have adaptive metabolisms. So once we exit prep, man, we're going to be able to get food right up, you yeah. know, like I'll definitely be close to like anywhere between, you know, 350 to 400 grams of carbs daily. Mm. Right. And that'll still have me close to maintenance. What you'll be well, well up over 600 grams of carbs, mm. Probably, right? Yeah. Six to 700. Mm-hmm. And then that's at the start at the, once I get to like 85 plus, I'm going to, I reckon I'll be in seven to eight. Yeah, so man. New territory for me. Oh, it's going to be amazing. You know, that's what I'm craving. I'm just craving the feeling of strength and feeling really freaking good. And again, just enjoying more of the foods that I already eat and enjoy. Yeah, awesome. Well, I think we answered that very well. Sweet. And there's definitely going to be more on that topic to come, especially as we get closer to the end. We'll be discussing our reverse diets, obviously doing that in Road to 2021 and also the YouTubes as well. Mm -hmm. So without further ado, we'll get into the final question, which is one thing that you've learned this week okay so i learned this week that sometimes your parents are right right like you know parents are full of wisdom especially dads are full of wisdom but i actually sold my car this past week so you're saying i'll have more wisdom than you as a parent you might (laughs) i don't know we'll have we'll both have equal amounts of wisdom but i'm just saying like my dad he's a wizard bruh but anyway my dad, you know, t- gave me good advice when I went to sell my car and he's like, Tara, honestly, you know, you can 
pretty much get paid $100 an hour, right? Like clean that car up really well, put in the time, right? Put in the effort for a few hours of really cleaning it well, and then you'll sell it quicker. And also you'll be able to sell it for a higher price. So like I spent probably a good three to four hours, like vacuuming, you know, and like, like cleaning down all the windows and all the little cracks and dusting things, actually going under the hood and actually dusting off all of like the engine Mm. and everything like that. Right. And hell, I put up my car in car sales. It was sold in four days and I actually sold it for the same amount that I bought it for two and a half years ago. Right. So it was good. So my dad was right, you know, but it, it just goes to show guys, like obviously take pride in your work, but if you are trying to sell something, whether it's a car, whether it's a room in a share house, a product, you know, your coaching services, take pride in your work and clean that shiz up, you know, because again, like you're trying to make it appealing to customers. I don't know if any of you guys have ever like, you know, gone to a house, like, you know, and you're trying to move into a new share house or something to rent a place. And like, you know, the photos online, it looks like they've been taken with like a 2008 Nokia or something, mm. you know, anything close to a potato. It looks like, like an Instagram profile from 2009. Yeah. Like the photos are shite. And then you're like, oh, well maybe it looks better in person. You rock up to this house. Like the lawn looks like crap. Mm. There's garbage everywhere. Like the room hasn't been vacuumed. The person who's moving out, there's shits there's all over bugs. the place. It's like, God damn, are you actually trying to sell this room to me and for 200 bucks a week? Like what a joke, right? So like take pride in your work. And if you're selling your car, clean up that shiz real nice. Yeah. Mm. Good advice. Anyway, yeah, I've had a lot of these experiences, you know, especially in uni when I was like trying to like, you know, inspect Make sure the fridge is nice as well. Yeah. There was that one fridge at your share house that reeked when you opened it. There was like a dead animal inside. It's because one of my housemates literally lived off like sausages and he would just like, and he was part of some community at uni and they were always having those like barbecue sausages and he'd just bring them home and let him just leave them in the fridge. Man, Jack, his name was Jack. (laughs) Dude wanted to be an astronaut. I don't know if he is an astronaut now, but anyway, yeah, take pride in your work and you will make money. Uh, Jack, what did you learn this week? So I was listening to one of the Revive Stronger episodes about the P ratio. Mm -hmm. So not to be confused with P value. I actually initially thought the episode was gonna be on the P value, which is like, if it's, I think less than 0.05, it's a significant difference. Mm -hmm. But no, uh, this is something I learned. The P ratio is basically like the amount of muscle mass you can gain or how how successful muscle mass gain is being at a higher versus lower body fat percentage. So, and I've never heard it expressed like that. And what they, there hasn't been really that much research on it, but basically what the consensus was during the episode is that it doesn't really matter too much. Mm-hmm. As and, long as you're not on either end of the extremes. Yeah, as long as you're not overweight slash obese or in a compromised hormonal state by being too lean, it doesn't really matter. But Something that I think they could have mentioned more of is, okay, if you're starting a weight gain phase at like 16% body fat, sure, your rate of muscle gain is still going to be great, but you might not be able to do it for that long. So that's, I feel like that episode they could have mentioned start at something like 10 to 12% body fat and then end at 20%. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's just something that interesting that I learned and... Yeah, I think it's it makes sense that you're not going to be as productive, super lean or super overweight either. 
it's going to be in that middle ground. But definitely your rate of weight gain and how long you can do it for is definitely worth acknowledging. Yeah, and that's why it pays off to have a coach, you know, and a yeah. second pair of eyes and someone to really look at your physique and say, okay, what should we really do here? Because again, like, hint, hint, a little, uh, you know, teaser for Jack's next YouTube video, like, dieting isn't necessarily always the answer, no, right? No, it's not. Yeah, so, yeah, it just pays off to really assess your physique, right? And say, like, okay, cool, like, should I lose weight? Should I gain weight? Should I stay to maintenance for a little bit? Should I do a combination of all three over the next year, right? Like, you know. Yeah, I completely agree, and... As you said, that's why a coach is so useful. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right, guys. Well, thank you again for tuning in for episode 105. If you did enjoy it, please remember to take a screenshot, post it to your Instagram stories, tag Jack, tag myself, tag the bodybuilding dietitians, and we will catch you next week. See you guys.